Chronic Illness Therapist podcast. This is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here, and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love. Lexi Gross is a licensed clinical mental health counselor and somatic experiencing practitioner in training. Lexi has worked in college counseling settings, wilderness therapy settings, community mental health, and is currently in private practice. Most of Lexi's experience clinically is with young adults, adolescents, and parents, and in her private practice, she primarily works with individuals diagnosed with chronic illnesses and those who struggle with undiagnosed or mysterious symptoms. While she works with chronic illness in general, she also works with environmental biotoxin illnesses like mold illness, Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, multiple chemical sensitivity, and chronic inflammatory response syndrome. She supports clients in finding some normalcy and identity outside of their treatments and syndromes and helps them navigate through the grieving process of experiencing these symptoms and receiving diagnosis. She also provides mental health support and psychoeducation to family members and partners, as there are unique challenges that come with being the family member and partner of someone with a chronic illness. Lexi herself has recovered from chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIBO, mold illness, and other chronic environmental sensitivities, so she knows how difficult the journey is when searching for support. Hi, Lexi. So nice to meet you. you Maybe we can start with what even brought you to counseling and what brought you to practicing somatic experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, So let's see. Counseling, I... um, So I went to undergrad at at Davidson College, so it's a little north of Charlotte. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest, but found Davidson College from like when they were in the NCAA tournament, thanks to Steph Curry, Um, (laughs) and fell in love with North Carolina. Um, And so I got involved in their outdoor program. And so after I graduated undergrad, I knew that I wanted to go back to grad school, not really for what something in the psychology realm in that field, but it didn't want to do research, wanted to work with people. Also wasn't sure. I was like, do I want to do therapy? I don't know. Um, And then I, after I graduated, did some outdoor uh, jobs. So I was like wilderness professional and then found my way into wilderness therapy. So it was like, oh, wow, this is a nice blend of psychology and working with people in the woods. That was really neat. And yeah, I worked as like a field instructor kind of in terms of like residential treatment programs. It's like the direct care staff of, um, and it was an adolescent program. So um, was did that for two years. And in that process, um, really figured out of like, yeah, I, I want to, I want to do therapy. I want to do counseling. Um, the woods is a powerful place um, and allowed for some really incredible things happen for some of these students and those students that I worked with. Um, and so then I applied for grad school and fortunately got in at App State and um, just like further developed. I was like, oh, wow, like there's a lot to learn here um, and really liked it. Um, and yeah, the, the trauma piece, that's I think where I just continued to learn. And I had someone introduce me early on in grad school to the polyvagal theory and Stephen Porges and the nervous system and how that relates to so much stuff. Um, so I, that just like sparked a good bit of like nerdiness in me of like, oh, this is so cool and how the brain works and how it like can adjust and cope and all this other stuff. Um, so I, I was really intrigued in that, um, but in terms of like how I got into somatic experiencing was because of my chronic illnesses. Um, I, let's see, it was a year, I don't know, it was like within six months of graduating grad school, I started getting really sick. Um, the mold, I was in a house that had black molds, um, really trying to figure that out um, and was able to like move and get into a house that was okay. And it was just like a mess. My family and me, and like, we had no idea what we were dealing with. Um, and along the path, like I, I was really struggling um, 
with my health. And then it was also impacting like my mental health. I'm sure people with these experiences know that the type of anxiety you feel when you've got like limes or mold illness or any of these things is like a totally different flavor of anxiety than just like generalized anxiety. Um, not to say one is worse or better than the other, but it's just like, there's just a sense of like, this is different um, and it feels scary in that way. Um, and so in talking with my parents about it, we were trying to come up with a plan. Um, and fortunately I knew someone who's a therapist and was an SCP, a somatic experience practitioner um, and done a lot of training. I was like, there's something about this that feels like it's more my nervous system. Like I, I, I know this is what it is. Like I'm going to, I'm going to talk with him and either maybe work with him or he'll give me someone who I can work with. Um, and so I started working with him doing somatic experiencing and uh, within like a month or two, my nervous system, like calmed down the anxiety, like all of the like hypervigilance aspects of things, like really started to settle down. Um, and it, and I truly, I mean, it didn't, fix my health, but I truly believe that it stopped it from progressing to the point that a lot of people with those illnesses can get to. I think that a lot of those skills in learning about my nervous system and the regulation and when it gets stressed or activated and how to, um, yeah, listen to it more and not buy into all of the ways that it can get like cranked up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So that's how I got into it. And it was like, <laughs> I was like, this is magical. <laughs> um, and so then that's when I decided um, probably a year after working with this individual, I was like, yeah, I'm, there's no way I can't bring this, not bring it into my work with other clients. It's just like, I embody it. I use it. I believe it. It's like a lifestyle type thing of just like how I'm able to function that um, I was like, I have to get training in it. So that's when I decided to seek that out. Yeah. yeah thanks for sharing all that. Absolutely. You mentioned, um, that it feels different, not better or worse than maybe like general generalized anxiety. And yeah, I yeah. think, um, it's, you can't CBT your way out of it. Oh no, 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 no. There's no thinking your way yeah. out. There's no yeah. thinking at all. It, <laughs> no. And a lot of times yes. the anxiety is so, yes, we might have anxiety about like, oh my God, I might progress and I might mm -hmm. get sicker. And you know, yes, there are thoughts that, that mm -hmm. we have around it, but it's mm -hmm. not mostly that it's mostly just this general like inside mm -hmm. feeling that you just don't know how to make you don't even know how to how to deal with it how to experience it yeah 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 I, I think the the sense is just that like you get this internal sense that something is wrong and and is hurting you or going to hurt you and really needing to like find a way out of like really like your self-protect, like I just like self-protective like energies and like, um, yeah, just get activated so strongly in those moments. Yeah. yeah and I that's like, like that. a common thing of <laughs> when I've talked to some other people and that have reached out to me, whether I've worked with them or just like given support of, yeah, you're going through this of like, it's their common experience too, of like, I've never had anxiety before. And this is yeah. like something else. Yep. Yeah, it's, I talk a lot about just trauma in the body just from chronic illness. It doesn't matter if you've had trauma mm -hmm. or not, like oh, the yeah. chronic illness it, itself is a trauma. Yes. But yes. it's so similar to if you did have trauma as a kid or, or even, you know, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And the reason I put the time frame in there is because it, the longer you go with untre untreated trauma, mm -hmm. some of us, um, yeah. it, your nervous system just feels worse and worse every year. And so it's like, mm -hmm why do I feel so much worse now versus, you know, maybe mm -hmm. when I was first diagnosed or my symptoms were way sure. worse two years ago. Why do I feel sure. so much more anxious now? And it's like your nervous system is just, it's taken a toll. And it's overworked. Just, like, yeah. yeah. Overworked. It's, exactly. it's been compensating for so long. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's this thing that I've um, started to dive more into in terms of with like somatic experiencing training and like with some of Peter Levine's training and I think like Diane Poole Heller has done about uh yes you know chronic syndromes and pain and symptoms that when we have chronic illness and the and the body is in this mode of like self-protection for so long 
that it tries to compensate to keep going. And then it just like in doing that, it pops out more of these symptoms or syndromes or pain that like don't make sense necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it's like trying to keep us alive when really it's like making it harder because of how it's compensating. Yes. Yes. Such a good way to put it. Um, yeah. And for, for anyone who's listening, who still is trying to wrap their head around or navigate, like, wait, does this mean I'm making my illness worse? Like, what would you say to, the, to someone who might be thinking that? I think there's this delicate balance of like buying into some of those like thoughts that reinforce our sickness or illness and like can reinforce that, that sure, but that doesn't, you're not, you're not causing you to have more of these symptoms. Like that's like a very physiological response that you don't really have control over. That's like your nervous system has made a decision of how to, um, yeah, just like function. And you don't really have too much of a say over that aspect when it comes to, there's a potential threat. It makes that decision for us, um, which thankfully it does. And also can lead to a lot of shame when it comes to trauma. I'm sure, I'm sure you know that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it is that we don't have control over it. The autonomic nervous system, your heart beats without you thinking about it. You breathe. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like yeah. breathing. You breathe on your own without thinking about it, but you can also mm -hmm. control your breath. And yes. so through yes. some of these techniques in somatic mm -hmm. experiencing and even within the yeah. ACT framework, acceptance and commitment therapy, yes. there's a lot you can yeah. do to control or, or navigate some of these things um, and yeah. reduce the tension and reduce the severity of it but it's it's not like yeah. you just think it and now it happens right right yeah yeah and I, I like that you, yeah we, we have we can have definitely have influence over it and I think with ACT I, what I really love about how it blends so well with somatic experiencing is this piece of being able to notice like oh yeah I'm having these thoughts or these emotions they're real they're here I and you know I I don't have to buy into them. They don't necessarily have to be true, um, but because they're here, I, I do need to pay attention to them or at least like address them. And same with some of our symptoms. Um, and this can be a tricky thing of like, you're not necessarily dismissing them, but maybe like your body might be putting out symptoms that are an indicator of actually what's wrong. So like if you're in, and this is where like chronic pain can be like super complex is like, if you're in chronic pain, it's not necessarily an indicator of the severity of like an injury or something that is wrong. It can just be like this neural pathway, this loop that's gotten reinforced and stuck in that way due to stress or however your body is navigating something. And so it's being able to like acknowledge it and yeah, it sucks. And also maybe not creating all of these stories in your mind about what that means. Like the meaning making aspect can lead us into like dark places. Yeah, absolutely. That is spot on. Um, and that's where some of that like thought work comes in that can, that can feel a little bit invalidating, but again, reiterating, like, it's not that if you make a negative meaning, it's your fault. It's that this is what our nervous system knows. Like, mm -hmm. and now that we know it and now that we're aware of it, and now that we have the tools to handle that much mm -hmm. discomfort, now we can mm -hmm. start to work on maybe changing some of your thoughts or, or not even necessarily changing the thoughts, but at least allowing you to hold them and do the behaviors that you want to do mm -hmm. in life that are going to yes. be meaningful to you. Yeah. Yes. So you use somatic experiencing, you use ACT. Is there anything else you use mm -hmm. in your work? Um, I, a good bit of like motivational interviewing techniques, I'm very person-centered approach. Um, I think that that goes, a lot of therapists use that and goes really hand in hand with act somatic experiencing in any like trauma-informed approach of like really um having the client lead and um yeah I, and I make it very clear of like trusting what their brain and body is telling them of like what feels like it's working or not um or what feels like a good challenge or good scary versus like nope we're we're not going there type thing yeah um, yeah and that takes time to discern yeah yes and yep it does and that's the piece of um yeah, that's what I love about somatic experiencing is that part of that is being able to come back into your body in a way that helps you have a clear understanding of like, what is my intuition versus like, what is maybe my fear, anxiety or whatever emotion driving this response. Yeah. And I think like through all this, we learn to start to trust ourselves a little more. And when we trust ourselves a little more then we can, 
go into new experiences or new things that might be scary, mm-hmm. but we know like, okay, well, if something does go wrong, I actually, I can recover from this, this thing. Mm-hmm. If I overexert right. myself, like, okay, well, maybe mm-hmm. I try to do this on a, on a weekend so that I have Sunday to rest. And like, yeah. if I lose mm-hmm. my Sunday, I lose my Sunday and that's okay. <laughs> yep. And you plan for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I kind of see that part of things like more of the coaching side of chronic illness like how do we plan for it and how do we do you find that you go into that with clients or do you kind of stay strictly somatic no I go back and forth I'll be pretty more directive or kind of in that coaching sense of um and and I'll do a lot of this especially before doctor's appointments um Mm. or even like having like seeing families or how to navigate conversations with like loved ones that potentially might be challenging related to illness of talking through like the reality of like, okay, like what, what do we know is going to happen? Um, and kind of talking through that. And it comes in like a somatic experiencing lens of, because when we go into doctor's appointments, when they've been so challenging or we've been dismissed so many times, even if you've found someone who listens to you, there's still residual, like, like history there that what if they don't believe me or whatever that is or what if I don't get my needs met or things like that and so a lot of it is walking through what it's going to look like identifying the most uh, anxiety or like intensely uncomfortable part about it and it could be just like preparing for it it could be going over like test results it could be I don't know asking if they could try this other way about treatment or whatever and and talking through um, what resources or what might make it easier or make it more helpful um, for them to get that need beforehand. And maybe it's another person there, maybe it's writing the questions down, maybe if it's before like a medical procedure, calling the place ahead of time to talk through what exactly is gonna happen or, or if they could bring a loved one in or if they can, have these things ready for them so that there's a sense of like they have control this isn't um decisions aren't being made for them or at a pace that is too much for like their brain to process um so that's usually yeah i'll go into that kind of like that prep coaching type way yeah which that control is a resource right even if the doctor's (laughs) appointment doesn't go the way you wanted to you didn't get what we planned for together in session Mm -hmm you had that sense of control that allows you to then get through that new discomfort or that new like like bad situation. Sure. Which is really what this is all about. I think we, I get a lot of calls or when people find out that I specialize in chronic illness, it's like, oh, like, so you treat chronic pain and and I have to really iterate. It's, and it's so hard. I'm going to be like, just Mm -hmm. listen to this podcast (laughs) because this is what we do. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, Cause yeah. And, and I also, I try to be really careful and not saying like, but guess what? Your pain often does reduce when we do this work, you know, but if you start uh-huh. off with that as your goal or that as you're like, and you're thinking every right. session, okay, is my pain going to be better today? Then it's, you're still in that fear mode. Your, your body is yeah. still your, your body mode. checking. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's communicating and reinforcing that anxiety and fear of like, oh my God, am I okay or not? Um, which, which is really hard to do. It's really hard. It's like symptom checking. Um, yep. it, it, it's really hard to let go of. Um, can you, yeah. Can you explain more body checking, symptom checking, and like why that is maybe, um, unhelpful sometimes? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll speak to it from my own personal experience. Cause that's something that like, I sometimes will pop up and I'll just have to like, be like, oh yeah, cool. And just address it in my own way. But, um, so for my experience with SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, and um, as a result, like mold illness, um, I became hypersensitive to the environment, to mold, to chemicals, to basically any, anything. <laughs> um, so like I could walk into a building, I can walk into a room, I could go someplace and immediately feel the difference or know that there was something in there that my body couldn't handle. And so even if I walked into a new place and initially I felt okay, I would like for the first, probably like five, 10 minutes. So just be like scanning and checking in of like, okay, do I have head pressure? Do I, do I have congestion? Do I feel nauseous? Do I feel sick? 
Um, like, do I like feel antsy? Like just kind of checking for anything or a sign that I knew that like I was in a quote unquote exposure or something that was going to be harmful to me. And that would just oftentimes if I was noticing a bit of it um, before I better understood how to navigate this, it would it would increase the symptoms to the point where like I had more anxiety and I would have to avoid it and like leave. Um, and in a number of situations that just led to avoidance of going places or um, just like leaving places that I, I just like couldn't be in. Um, yeah. And so um, when we body check, it's communicating to your brain and your nervous system, like I might not be safe here. I'm actively looking and scanning for a threat and how I might be um, impacted by that. And so then your brain is just looking for anything that it can almost like pin this reason that you're like scared on, um, which, which isn't helpful. So like, it just kind of continues to be in this more activated state rather than being able to like go about the world and moving through spaces without having to think about that. Um, yeah. So it's just like an added layer of <laughs> anxiety, exhaustion, exertion, um, and overtime is incredibly exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the tricky part about that experience, and you can speak to this, this was true or not for you, but it's like, you might not even think like, so example, for example, like the perfume section at the mall, you might not think uh, yeah. at all that like, this is like a dangerous thing, but for some mm -hmm. reason your body has picked up on, I yes. don't like that smell or I don't, mm -hmm. that, that smell feels dangerous to me and it sets off my mm -hmm. fire alarms. And so it's, yeah. Yeah. You're, then you, it turns on like all these different sensations in your body. And, and if you're not aware of it, yeah. it's like looking around a corner yeah. because you don't know what's uh, there, Yes, but as soon right. as you know, what's exactly. there, it might even be a dog, like a, a vicious dog <laughs> chained to it, chained, chained yeah, to sure, there. Sure. But if you know it's oh, chained yeah. and you know, like, it's okay, that's a vicious dog, but I know what's there. You automatically feel safer. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's kind of that response. Um, I, I love in those moments when it happens in my nervous system now, or like when I talk with some of my clients of um, looking for ways that their nervous system is doing what it needs to be doing. Cause oftentimes they're like, Oh, it doesn't work. It's like, okay, yeah. well, like, is there ever been a time where you've been driving and a police car lights go up behind you and like the adrenaline, like everything you're like, Hoo! <laughs> and then um, they like drive past you and pull someone else, else over and there's this like relief and you can like notice like things just like relaxing and maybe you have some extra like energy that's like working its way out but you can notice that happening like that's like such the beautiful moment of like oh I got scared and then I realized that it's no longer a threat to me that I can like be okay and that's unfortunately with like when you're sy symptom checking or body checking or really like environment checking for some of these things there's often not the thing of like oh I don't need to be scared of that like I'm actually okay there's not there's just kind of like the continue like on ramp to yeah. more more fear and activation yeah it would be like maybe you were speeding and you're like oh but I know this cop is going to come back for me so you can't calm down from that experience yes yes that, that's yeah. like what we're experiencing mm -hmm. with our body checks yeah yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, it's, that's such a good example too, because even as you're saying it, I can feel when there's a cop uh -huh. behind me. You can feel yeah, like, right? Oh, your whole uh -huh. body's tight. And now like that, that release. Yeah. I think our clients often have a really hard time feeling a release of tension, but in that yes. example, I think everyone can yeah. feel that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one. And the other one that I really like to use, cause I, uh, I relate to it pretty often as I go hiking or trail running a lot. And I'll see a root and I think it's a snake because mm. it sort of looks like one as you glance down, you like, there's like this huge, like, like startle response and you like jump to the side and then you realize you're like, oh, oh, it wasn't. But if it was, my body did the right thing. I got out of the way. Like, cool, sweet. Yeah. And then that's you a good can, one like too. acknowledge like the, the um, yeah, just like the cortisol, the adrenaline just kind of releasing and finishing its course through your body, which feels really cool. Yeah. Can I ask, um, do you consider yourself fully recovered from everything? Do you still experience chronic pain or symptoms or anything like that? Um, I would say I'm probably like 95% recovered um, mm -hmm. at this point. I My symptoms, if they do pop up, they disappear pretty quickly. Once I acknowledge and I'm like, oh, this is like, I don't 
like this is something that I don't need to be scared of like I'm okay and my body knows how to handle this like it like I'm okay um as well as like and it's not just like a brain mental thing but like with the work with my doctors and like based off of a lot of my lab work and things like that like things are going in like a really awesome direction where I feel really confident um and going and eating and navigating things without having to consider all of these other layers of illness at this point, um, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Just the combination of like physical health and having good treatment as well as um, the mental health side of things too. Yeah. 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 It's important. It's important. We talk more about this just in general, because mm-hmm. um, just so often people like every day I get questions about mental health for chronic pain and it really it is either mm-hmm. like people think it's all in your head or they mm-hmm. think there's some kind of like magical one that makes your mental work make your pain go away it's like no it's just a yeah. big process of learning to turn off the fire alarms mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then there's also that piece where if if your brain and anxiety is anything like mine where it's like but what if we actually need to be worried about this or like am I just not going to respond to things that I actually need to be scared about it's learning the the difference between what is appropriate to be scared of and to be anxious or worried about versus what is something that other people's bodies can handle and figuring that out when it comes to like some of this, some of the relearning yeah. of like turning those fire alarms off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, with the skills that you learn in act or in somatic experiencing and, and even other modalities too, um, you learn, those are the tools that help you learn this, right? Again. Yeah. Not a mind thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like, Oh, I just, I just know I'm okay. Like, no, but yeah. your body needs to know too. So mm-hmm. how do we make that happen for you? And it's a process. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that's a tricky thing because we also, there's a lot of toxic positivity that floats around. And so it can be pretty easy to like, just dis to go about it and trying to like dismiss of like, Oh no, I'll just like ignore it or think that things are going to be okay and it'll be better. And um, it's not, it's not quite that there's like reality aspects to it of acknowledging (laughs) when things aren't great or that there are these like uncomfortable emotions or feelings or pain or symptoms also without um, buying into them as much or giving them as much air time as maybe they they think they need. Yeah. I think societally, there's so many things that encourage us to just ignore everything in our body. And so, you know, mm-hmm. even just going to school K through 12, like mm-hmm. you don't want to interrupt the lesson. And so you're holding your pee until it's mm-hmm. like break time. And mm-hmm. so it's like, there's all these bells and schedules and societal expectations that, that constrain what's happening in your body. And so even yeah. if you've never experienced like parents or caregivers who directly dismissed your needs, you might've had the best parents in the world. There's still a ton of uh, different things that are constantly telling us, don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to your body. Yeah. You don't know what's mm-hmm. best. So we right. just ignore that feeling. And then our body says, if that was so dangerous, like I need to, and she won't pay attention to it. Like I need to pay mm-hmm. attention to it. And then yes. it just becomes, yeah, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious about your view and, and your approach to relationships throughout this process. Um mm-hmm. What does it look like when, you know, your clients or you, or what does it look like when people are struggling to get the support they need, the help they need, even to just have friendships, kind of that path? Um, I, I think that for those who have chronic illness, there's a heck of a lot of grief that happens, um, both in like the diagnosis um, and often like a loss of what they could or like what they could do before, um, or what they thought their identity was or things like that. And so there's, depending on the chronic illness and the individual, there's a heck of a lot of loss. Um, there's like a loss of control over your body. Um, there's a loss of control in some ways around like getting the treatment that you think you need, Um, same with like potentially even work or job or like activities that you like to do or could do. Um, 
and and so that is just like heavy and really hard to navigate and if you are in a relationship with someone um and they like are supporting you and like wanting to help you that that's usually the case and also the thing that is really tricky is that um they they don't know that grief they don't know that um that sense and like sure you can explain it to them away but it, it's it hits different when you felt it yourself and there's like a sense of yourself that just feels like lost and yet you have to like let go permanently even though you're like you really don't want to um and and so that that I think is challenging um and difficult to like communicate to loved ones um as well as this piece of the amount of time and energy that usually goes through and in terms of like with my clients that I work with as well as my own experience with this of just like all of the efforts and the thinking and the planning and the preparing and creating all these different potential plans around trying to minimize your symptoms so you can do the things that you like want to do whether it's even just like get to work and be able to like feel okay enough to do work or to like go on like a short walk or a hike with like your partner and recognizing that afterwards, like you're gonna be completely depleted and exhausted or the side effects of that. So like, there's a lot of this like planning and weighing out in your brain of like, what is worth it? What isn't, what can I do? What can I not? What can I eat that's gonna help and make this better? What supplements do I need to take? So there's like all of these things that go into it that, um, that on the outside you can't see. And that's like just incredibly exhausting. And it's really hard to hold alone and and so that's where sometimes there can be conflict um, in relationship of like just this continual exhaustion of like, no, I don't want to do that because not wanting to have to explain why of like all of these reasons why it makes it difficult as someone with whatever chronic illness it is. And then there's this other piece of it, from both sides of like with someone, someone with a chronic illness of like the number of boundaries that you have to set and make um, and reiterate um, I think is, it can feel overwhelming, um, in the sense of like, no, I can't do that today. Or I, for me to be able to hang out with you in this space, can you come to my house? Because I feel safest here, or like, I can only do X, Y, Z, or if there are plans that you've made with friends or someone, and you no longer feel well enough to do it, having to cancel over and over again, or having to ask for accommodations for your needs based off of like <laughs> what you're able to do is really exhausting. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to continue to ask for those things over and over again. Um, as well as like on the side of like with partners or families, it's, um, you can be the most loving and supportive person and like, you're going to get frustrated and disappointed when things have to change or like you can't do something that you plan because you were excited for like that's totally normal yep. and it's such a hard dynamic to then hold on to these emotions of your own while also being compassionate and recognizing like no this makes sense my loved one like can't do this um because this pain flare-up happened or they're having just a, a bad day like an off day like things are worse today for whatever reason and so there's that challenge as well. Um, and so sometimes what I find, whether it's uh, like with people that I've been, some of the clients I've been working with is uh, I've worked with some of these family members um, that finding a space for them to like feel this disappointment, this frustration um, and, and allow themselves to, because sometimes they stuff it down of like, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to feel this because this person's chronic illness like kind of dictates everything. Um, and so helping them find outlets where it's appropriate to feel those things and navigate through it so that it's not being put on to their partner, the person with the chronic illness, because that just, the person with the chronic illness already feels so much guilt and around having to adjust things that, um, helping to mitigate that so that it just doesn't feel like yeah. continuing to be a burden. Um, cause it, it's a really tricky and complex dynamic that comes into play um, and it's really yeah it, it's hard it is it is all for all of those reasons um yeah I, I like how you talked about like it's really hard to just ask for the same thing over and over and over again um what especially mm -hmm. when it's things like canceling or maybe asking for help you know mm -hmm. someone to carry the load yeah. and just 
yeah, feeling like you're not doing mm-hmm. enough. Um, there's so many different avenues we could go down, like societal expectations and, and what society <laughs> deems appropriate yes. and why that's probably sure. not so helpful. Um, but how do you help your clients navigate that if you're not working with the other partner? Like say you're just working with a chronically ill client and you're trying, sure. yeah. When it's like with a partner or family, it's before or before there's like, you're about to be in this like situation where you have to set this boundary or this expectation or change plan. So like trying to like preemptively prepare beforehand to like set up how those situations are going to go. Um, and so if depending on, and, and this is like assessing with a client of if they feel like they have the relationship with their partner where they can have these conversations of like, <clears throat> hey, can we sit and talk about, like I noticed this pattern continuing to happen. Um, and being able to name, like, this is what happens for me. And I feel guilt or the story I'm telling myself is that you are really upset with me when I have to do X, Y, and Z. And it's really exhausting for me to continue to have to like cancel or whatnot, or this, depending on what happens. Cause sometimes then the client feels that they need to like take care of this other person's emotions once they've like set this boundary because they take the responsibility of like, it was my illness that got in the way of this. Um, And so encouraging them to try and have this conversation ahead of time of like, this is what happens in my world when this comes up and asking them, they can share what's going on in their world in this situation. Um, And there's not going to be like a fix to it, recognizing there's not going to be like a solution where everything is better, but being able to navigate and recognize that that's a hard thing to do. And often for the person who is chronically ill, being able to like, if that, if their partner is able to ask them of like, okay, what, what would be okay for you to do? Or like, how could I support you? Or or what do you need right now? Um, To be able to help shift in that dynamic or, or, you know, starting to create these different types of communication that one respects this other person when they also have power, but also um, gives this person with like the illness a chance to maybe change plans where it doesn't always feel like they're having to bring it up of if their partner is able to come in and be like, does this still feel okay to do today? Um, yeah. Or is there something else that feels better? Um, and it's, it really uh, explains the importance of therapy and learning yourself because you, you know, you can't ask yeah. for something different if you don't know yourself. Mm-hmm. You just, right. it's not just a matter of, you know, oh, I, I can't go out, go hiking. So can we go to the movies? Like it's so much more complex yeah. and deeper than that. And mm-hmm. I think too, a piece you mentioned earlier, it's, it's not only acceptance of our own feelings, thoughts, emotions coming up as they are and without trying to fight mm-hmm. them too much. It's also, if your partner has a reaction, can you mm-hmm. learn to be okay with knowing that that reaction, yeah. even if it's pure anger, mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. mean you're not loved. You're not a good person. You're too much for this world. It's just their reaction. Just like we have our reactions to our own, you know, if we Mm -hmm. feel like we're a burden or we feel these negative thoughts about ourselves, Mm -hmm. it is only, we can then expect that others might also sometimes have those thoughts. Right. And that's not a great feeling. No one wants to think that or feel that. No, definitely not. (laughs) <laughs> but if they have it, if they have those thoughts, we know that it can, it can come and go just like our mm-hmm. thoughts can come and go. And it doesn't mean our relationship's over. It doesn't mean they don't love no. us. It just means this is a human emotion, a human reaction mm-hmm. to a negative experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's one of those things with boundaries and especially in these situations where like, it just doesn't feel good having to keep doing that. Um, yeah. And I think a key to, for relationships to being able to navigate and continue in this way is like being open to some of these harder conversations and being able to have the tools on both ends of either partner, um, of being able to handle feeling disappointed, um, 
but being able to feel it without it turning into resentment or because usually at the, at, at the bottom of, or like at the core of a lot of that disappointment or anger, frustration is like excitement to be able to spend this like quality time with someone that you love and do something. And so sometimes it's like, how can we find a way to connect and get that quality time or whatever that is that they're seeking in a way that's just different than what was planned. Yeah. For both. Yeah. Especially for both parties, right? Like how do we make this feel Mm -hmm. good for both of us? And I think that's, what's so hard for the chronically ill person is like, it might not be as exciting for the other person. And we kind of carry that, that burden or that Mm -hmm. guilt of like, Oh, I'm, I'm ruining their night or, Mm -hmm. but I think when you build a community around you and you have people who love you and, and you have a give and take relationship, like, yeah, it might not be as exciting as like going ice skating, but yeah. they at the end of the day want to spend time with you. And so mm-hmm. we can have a really great night here at home. Like let's cook marshmallows mm-hmm. at the stove. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there's ways to be, yeah, there's ways to be creative and and yeah, meet those needs yeah. in those sense. And unfortunately with some of my clients, like their relationships, like their romantic relationships haven't lasted through it because mm. of just the complexity of it, which, and they totally get it. Um, they're, you know, they, it makes sense and it, you know, it, it hurts, but also it's like, yeah, it's a lot. Um, it's hard. Yeah, it is. And I think I think there's, a, I know that there's a way to navigate that in therapy. Uh-huh. Um, where your illness doesn't have to be the result, the end of a relationship, mm-hmm. um, but it is a really common experience where, yeah, you cancel because you don't feel well, but it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier and how anxiety, fear, all of these really um, uncomfortable emotions exacerbate our symptoms and dating mm-hmm. is scary and uncomfortable and anxiety provoking. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, we cancel more simply because we, we don't feel well. And then we feel even worse because of the anxiety that's just naturally occurring from dating. Right. 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 Or just even the thought of like having to share this information with someone and how they're going to receive it. Um, Cause there's yeah. also like that worry as well. Like here I am a complex person with this these weird needs and things that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you can understand. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, in relationships, it's like, unless you, unless you form a close bond, like it, it is no one's like responsibility to, to want to carry that with you. And that's a really hard thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, we're trying to build these relationships and we're trying to, so it's navigate. I think it's navigating like how much I share, uh, and not from a place of fear, but from a place Mm -hmm. of like, I want a relationship build first Mm -hmm. to even know if, do I want to carry your burdens? Cause everybody comes with their own burdens and yeah, yeah, through that process, then we slowly little by little start sharing and and we're testing them too, in a way, not in a, Mm -hmm. in a sneaky way, but like a, can you carry this with me? So rather than trying not to be a burden, it's like, can you actually be mm-hmm. with me on this journey? And if so, mm-hmm. then you are also, you are worthy of my time. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think whether this is talking about like chronic illness or people who've experienced trauma, that's exactly kind of like what it is. It's like, hey, these things have happened to me and like, this is how it has impacted me in relationship or whatever. And being able to like slowly share more and more about it, what feels good, but also in the same way, like, yeah, see their behaviors. Are they, are they continuing to show up and be supportive? Are they continuing to like, listen to you um, and vice versa? You know, does that feel okay? Does this feel trustworthy? Um, yeah, it is, it is testing, but in like an appropriate way, not like a unfair manipulative way, you know, (laughs) right? (laughs) of like like having these unshared expectations that you think that they should meet and then they don't, you know, like you didn't, you didn't pass this test. Like that's, exactly. that's not fair. <laughs> not fair at all. Yeah. And I think we do that a lot um, unintentionally. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And that's, that's why it's important to know yourself. I think the more we know ourselves, mm-hmm. we do that less because when you don't mm-hmm. know yourself very well, because we are so used to like avoiding all these sensations mm-hmm. in our body and these thoughts and these feelings, yeah. then 
you have these expectations that even you can't verbalize. That's why you can't go into this relationship and be like, this is what I expect of you. Or this is what I'm hoping mm-hmm. to get. Cause you just don't mm-hmm. know verbally your body knows. And that's why oh, you run totally. away from certain mm-hmm. situations, but yeah, mm-hmm. not your brain yeah. often doesn't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else comes to mind um, about relationships? Is there anything you've found particularly important that that people like to know when they learn it something that I enjoy I really like doing is being able to educate and provide psychoeducation for family members uh, of like this is how the nervous system works this is tends to be how it works when chronic illness is part of the picture so like and trying to explain like why their loved ones like body is responding in this way and things like that Um, and also bringing this piece of like co-regulation and teaching them what that is so the piece of like we have mirror neurons um, when we're in conversation and relationship with people especially those that we love um, we uh, tend to match their regulation so as like little ones we look to our parents for that and up until like four or five years old, like we, we aren't really able to self-regulate on our own. So we rely on that co-regulation piece. And so when we're with partners or family members, both like a child has this um, and their, their parents trying to help that it can be really helpful for the person with chronic illness um, when family members are able to stay regulated during flare-ups or times that are like more stressful or potentially more stressful because maybe you're moving or um, something that's just like more stressful that you're having to deal with. Moving's pretty stressful. (laughs) Right, and like having to navigate all the different layers of that of like having someone who is able to like stay regulated mostly through that. That doesn't mean that you don't have emotions it means that you're not reacting to them or getting super caught up um, in that activated energy where it leads more to like reactions. Um, And so that helps the other person's nervous system get like communication of like, oh, things are okay. Cause this person is like responding in this way that they're okay. It can help encourage someone else's nervous system to like, maybe just like come down a little bit and settle. Um, And so bringing those tools in, as well as just like the education piece tends to, it's really nice to be able to see some of like the clicks that happen. They're like, oh, okay, I understand this. You're like, oh, that makes sense with this pattern and when this happens. So it just helps them better understand what's happening for their like loved one, but also in that dynamic, in that relationship and like what's happening for themselves. Cause then they start to learn more about what's you know, what are internal cues that they might be getting more activated or they might be shutting down so that they can take care of themselves to, to help take yeah. care of their loved one and vice versa. Um, yeah. yeah, in the Gottman method of couples counseling, um, they talk a, a lot about um, like pausing a conversation when it's getting too heated. But I, mm-hmm. I've off, before I got into somatic experiencing, I would often think like, how do you know? because Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. for me before a lot of this work and even now sometimes like I can get to like a level 10 anger in in a Uh in an argument and I'm like like where was the pause point for me to walk away Mm -hmm. like you know and so the more you you become aware of these body sensations and what's Mm -hmm. going on for you you know when you're like at a level three and it doesn't have to get you can say oh oh oh, it's Mm -hmm. like if I keep going right this is, this is where this is headed. So let me pause and take a break. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And and I think, um, I really like working with anger, um, and helping people like be able to titrate it and embody it in a way that feels good. And it doesn't feel out of control. Cause I think it's for a lot of people, um, yeah, anger is just like, Oh, that's a scary thing. I don't feel that. Or if I do feel it, I don't trust myself with it. So when I feel it, I just completely shut it down, right. which like works for some time, but it, it 
you know, like you're angry for a reason, there's a way to healthily express it. And on top of it, like anger feels really good to feel. Yeah. Um, and I think that some people are like afraid to recognize that it like feels good to like lean into that in a way that's not hurtful to other people or themselves or property. If you know, yeah. Well, when you um, learn that thoughts are just thoughts and you don't have to act on them, then you can have a yeah. thought without it meaning you're a bad person. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that speaks to that piece of with the somatic experiencing of like, where's that pause point? Like, how can I build trust with myself that I can feel this level of anger and like tap into it enough that like, I still have a clear head um, yeah. and, and not get lost in it. And <laughs> in the act framework, do something that's moving me away from what I want and what I value. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see, we're coming up on an hour here and I want to respect your time. So I'm curious if you just have one piece of, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about like your, your favorite experience with a client, what makes all of this work Mm -hmm. worth it for you? Yeah. The thing that I really enjoy the most that continually like reinforces like, yeah, this is work I want to be doing is being able to help clients whether it's with chronic illness or like just like anxiety and overwhelm where they haven't really been present in their body because it's been a place of tension or pain or just like discomfort and tightness and whatever that is, be able to like have an experience that is not that and to be in their body at a time where like it feels like, okay. Um, Or like maybe even like a little pleasant. Um, Mm. I think that those moments of watching that shift happen, um, is just like really powerful and beautiful because it, um, yeah, it's just this coming back into like, oh, wow. Like I, I can be in my body and like, this is kind of what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, that just feels really nice. And it's just like beautiful to witness. It's so much. Yeah. It's so much more beautiful to watch a client come in and say, I felt this and it was okay rather than maybe mm-hmm. trying to be like, I, I did my homework and I, I made the thought mm-hmm. go away. And it's like, we know that that right. energy is not, right. it's not, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think it's the best part is like when they get to the point of like bringing more balance into like trying, not trying to like fix all the things, the ways that their body doesn't feel good, but being able to like allow space for that, but then also allow space for the things that are okay. Yeah. That feel okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's really great to connect. Absolutely. (laughs) If you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.